today I'm joined by Oliver, a virtual friend who is building his empire. He is an aspiring entrepreneur and is extremely passionate about Japan and its culture. Alongside this, Oliver is a young carer and he is here today to chat through his experiences. Without further ado, let's welcome Oliver to the Tater's Life podcast. Hello, Oliver, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. We've actually never met in person before, so this is quite weird doing it online. But welcome, it's nice to see you. Well, thank you very much. This is my first online meeting kind of thing, so I'm quite nervous myself. But, you know, we'll get through it. It'll be all good. We'll get through this together. I'm sure we will. So would you mind by telling me where you're at now, what you're studying, if you're studying anything in college or what have you? I myself is studying a level three in art and design, specialising in calligraphy and fine arts. And I'm also self-studying in Japanese. Uh, And I'm also, like you say, trying to start my own kind of entrepreneurial journey, start my own businesses, start my own communities, uh, things like that. So yeah, that's a bit about me. exciting so did your sort of arty side come out through the love of japan um so i've always been a bit more of an inventive inventive kid i think when i was younger i was kind of left to my own devices because my brother needed like his own needs and things like you know obviously his needs came before mine um with him being autistic and having um he also has golden heart syndrome which means half of his face is um cranial uh, isn't complete so he's missing an eye and ear and a nostril so i felt like when i was younger I was kind of left to my own devices. I had to do my own thing. And uh, I think that's where my creative side kind of, kind of came out. Like I had, you know, imaginary friends. I loved drawing loads. I made bases. I went into the, you know, the fields and everything like with random other kids. And, you know, I was just always a bit lively and a bit creative. So, yeah, that's where it came from. It stemmed from a young age due to, like, your brother's needs. And we'll chat about all of that later on in the podcast but that's like a really really interesting way of going into a journey if you know what I mean and I I love the fact how now you've used it and now it's going to be a sort of career motive if you know what I mean so that's really really amazing for me the career motive has always been you know my brother for my brother's sake doing this and obviously I I love doing it I love you know doing things keeping myself busy and always moving but from a young age I realised that I'm in the position now where my brother won't be able to care for himself like many others will um, so you know that, that responsibility really falls on me because there's gonna, there comes a day when you know your parents can't do everything for them you know it becomes much stronger you know you can't do they can't do things they used to be able to do so I think as the older brother I say older by three minutes <laughs> um, but yeah we're twins I feel like that responsibility kind of falls with me so I, I really kind of you know try and ingrain that in my mind try and think to myself you know what keeps me going it's the fact that I need to kind of support my brother that's a really really sweet way of thinking about things as well so is it just you and your brother in regards to siblings then like genetical siblings yeah that's it but we also have uh, two step siblings and we've known them since we were four so you Um, grew up together then yeah we grew up together so um you know we've always been super close you know the boy we met when like they were little I think they were three and four so it's like you know they were we were really similar ages so like a couple of years between us brother and sister from a different mother yeah amazing yeah honestly I feel that because I grew up in foster care and I went into foster care when I was four and loads of my like foster siblings they're like real siblings to me do you know what I mean it's just it's just like they've been there through like everything so yeah I can really really relate to what you're trying to say there and 
I would be interested in hearing a little bit about your love of Japan. Do you want to go traveling? Have you done solo traveling before? Of course, yeah. So uh, I've just come back from a five-week trip to Australia, I, oh, my nice. first solo trip, um, which was amazing. You know, it was an amazing experience with the Sydney. I went to Canberra. went to some more, like, coastal cities, but um, my geography of Australia is not the best. So I was kind of dotting around on, you know, random cars and things. So, you know, I kind of got lost a little bit. But, you know, it was all, all fun. Yeah, so I've always wanted to... Um, go to Japan I think my love of Japan started maybe must have started about five five years ago maybe I'd say four five years ago and that came through you know the, the usual channels it came through you know anime and things like that but it also came from poetry weirdly enough oh, wow. um, like uh, Japanese poetry is called haikus so they're like three-lined poems I don't know if you've heard of them before yeah. and I heard of those and I thought to myself well you know I've always liked the idea of learning a language but I've never like liked a language enough to try and learn it so you know, that's the thing that kind of spurred me on to try and learn the language. So, yeah. So, so. can you speak it fluently at the moment or not? At um, so, there's a there's a test. It's called the JLPT. So, there's five levels and I'll be going for my level three in December. Level one is like you can work at a Japanese company. So, it's like a almost like a license kind of thing. So, they'll look at your resume and they'll see you're an M1 speaker, you're an M2 speaker around that around that gap and then you will employ you any below that that's just for like academic purposes so you know my goal was to work up to n2 and m1 and then obviously uh have it as a thing i can use in a, a professional sense so oh that's amazing i can't imagine how difficult it must be to pick a language because i can speak welsh and english but i grew up with wills and like the language around me so it made it so much easier to pick up a mm, language course, yeah. But yeah, the real motivation is when you do it by yourself. So kudos to you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, it's uh, it's been a bit of a uh, different one because there's not many people who want to learn Japanese. You know, there's always the French and the German, the occasional bit of Latin somewhere in school. But, you know, I think it's a real testament to how much you want to learn something when you're doing it on your own. So, yeah. you know, when you've got those people around you to kind of encourage you, I feel like, you know, it's not easier, but it's definitely more, you're kind of motivating, spurring each other on. When you do it on your own, I feel like you kind of need to be like, is this something that I want to commit to? And if it's not, then obviously you end up giving up a lot sooner. And I feel like, you know, making sure it's something that you really want to do long term, because it's not a short process learning a language, is uh, something that you're really committed to. So when did you pick up the language? Like, when did you start learning? That's a good question. Uh, it must be around, like you say, I'd I picked up an interest in the country and the culture about four or five years ago. I probably started learning the language about three, three years ago. And you've um, already on level three, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah, level three, yeah. So I'll be going for the level three. Uh, fingers crossed I pass in December. Um, fingers crossed for you. The applications <laughs> haven't opened. They don't open until I think it's in a couple of months' time because then you apply for later. Cause there's two tests a year. There's one in um June. There's one in June and there's one in December. But you have to apply like a half a year before. So um, I'll be going for the December one. So yeah, that's really exciting. Would you consider moving over then, fully moving your life over? I'd love to go and see the country first. Yeah, I think as people who love countries and things, you know, if you love Italy, France, all these different countries, I feel like it's important to go there and you know experience the culture before you kind of throw all your eggs in one basket because you know you can love the culture which I do and like the language and people I've met who are Japanese and you have lovely conversations with them but, you know it sometimes I feel like it'll be harder to integrate into the culture and you don't really see that in like beforehand you don't see that and then you only see it when you get there and you think well this is harder than I thought you know I can't cope with this and then you know you put yourself down for not doing it but if you've just gone before 
you know, one, two, three times, then you'd know what you're you're in for. Absolutely. I respect that fully as well. And just packing your life up actually maybe isn't the best idea. <laughs> but yeah, you have to go guns blazing. Do you know what I Well, mean? maybe, yeah. Some people like it. <laughs> Some people do it. Some people do. Yeah, that's true. And with that being said, would you mind chatting about being like a young carer then for your brother? So you mentioned earlier that you're a young carer for your brother. How has this affected you personally? Of course, yeah. So when I was younger, like I said, I was very creative and I tried playing with kids and things. But overall, I was quite ostracized. Like I didn't have many friends. I was very, very protective of my brother. Obviously, not because of just his autism, it was because of his um, facial deformity. You know, he's, he's often like people would often stare and call him names and things. So it was hard for me when I grew up because this being my twin, I kind of felt a sense of like, like, a, like a really strong bond with him as if he was like an extension of myself. So when people insulted him, it felt like they were insulting me. And therefore, the types of people that would insult him, obviously, they don't mean anything mean by it. You know, kids, kids will be kids. Kids are curious. Kids don't understand the world. But obviously, as a kid myself at the time, I didn't understand this. So I disassociated myself with other kids around me, you know, became quite the recluse, the loner. Um, again, bringing out more of the creative side because I needed to do things. I needed to kind of express myself in some way. Therefore, going towards my parents' friends. So I would be... five or six and I'd be walking up to my parents 30 40 year old friends trying to have a conversation with them as if you know as, as if I've known them 20 years and I'm talking to them I'm like oh yes did you see that thing on the news the other day and yes I'm talking to them about my schoolwork and they try I know you know you know they, they play along with my little my little game but I always felt the company of adults more reassuring because I know they wouldn't judge me I know they wouldn't judge my brother you know like I felt like the adult presence was a lot more secure for me so I tended to stick around more grown-up groups when I was younger and I think that's kind of transferred through now as well because I try and you know I always try and speak to people in like a much higher position than myself or people who have had more life experience and try you know try and you know grasp as much as I can from them and obviously share what I have too but you know just try and speed up my process because I'm you know I'm hungry to learn and I I don't want to stay stagnant kind of thing so there's like a quote about um you shouldn't be the smartest in the room and Yeah, I think of course. that's like an incredible way of going about things so I can imagine you you're very very curious and that's a really good trait to have just to wonder a little bit more about what somebody else wants to do so would you say since you hung around with slightly older groups of people would you say you're much more mature for your age than the average I don't know what age you are but som
here's 15 extra minutes on your test and you'll be fine. It's like, this isn't, when it came to my schooling, I thought, well, there's not enough in place for young carers. You'll give us 10, 15 extra minutes on the exam. You'll give us no extra help in classes. There's no extra clubs for young carers. There's no kind of community or bond. You're kind of tossed out and under this label yeah. that you're given. And you're like, and they tell you to kind of fend for yourself and you, you have to deal with a lot more than your classmates, which I found terrible. You know, you feel isolated in that respect because with my brother, people would say, you know, I went out with my brother this weekend or I went out with my sister and I'd say, I had to take care of my brother. So yeah. We don't share experiences. You know, I try and we try and help him have experience, but we will never share an experience on like an emotional level, which when I was younger, I, you know, I, I obsessed over and when I was really little, I had like a, I had a thing where I'd be like, I want Harry to be normal. You know, I, I want him to be just like, man, I was really little. I was like, I want him to be just like me. And, you know, as I got older, I've realized, that, you know, these things aren't possible, but you have to make the best of the situation you're in. Because if you dwell on things too much, it just, it just destroys, it just destroys you mentally. So I feel like having a strong mindset and knowing that you can't change things is so, so important. Absolutely. And yeah, I can see that you're a very, very strong person. And in all honesty, I am so shocked that you were 17. When you said that, when you nearly hit the floor, just you come across so much more mature. But I guess if you've been through all of these experiences, you're going to have to grow up like much quicker than everybody else. And it's such a shame that schools aren't aware of the struggles that you're going through. I'd like to say first and foremost, you know, I've got through school. I'm not, I'm not in my high school anymore. You know, and I, I don't resent school. You know, they did, they did the best they could with the things they had. It tends to be the boards, you know, the, the uh, examiner boards and the people who run the schools. You know, the teachers always try and help. I had lovely teachers who would try and help me on a more personal level, but it did tend to be the schools that were lacking. And like you said, I do feel like if they, you know, took young carers out in groups, um, it would help. But the downside of that is there, in one school, there tends to be a small number of young carers. Yeah. So in my school, um, and I, I was in a very small school, my high school consisted of about 500 people. And there was about two two other young carers. So there was there was three of us in total oh. in my school. So it doesn't tend to be a lot. But when you add when you add up all the schools in England and America and Ireland and Wales and Scotland you know it, it soon compiles and then you have this massive majority of people where there's not enough on the individual level in schools to kind of support and give them all these resources but then when they're collected as a group it's kind of like this mash of what becomes mis misfits sometimes because you know kids act out they're confused they don't know what to think you know they kind of re they resent their circumstance they think why me you know they think why has this happened to me they resent their circumstance they start to to flip out and I've, I've known many other young carers you know who, who've, done, who've done similar things and like I say it's not their fault it's not a school's fault it's just the circumstance and I feel like as a collective we have to fix it not on like the individual level so I, yeah. I feel that's really important. Yeah that makes so much sense now that you've sort of explained it to me in that sort of way because I'm not gonna lie I don't know any other young carer so never been have able to have a conversation like this with anybody who's gone through it before but with that being said if you were to move away would you bring your brother with you what would kind of be your approach uh, in the future like in the overarching theme of you know our lives in the future I would like to live with my brother and take care of him in the short term I personally feel that you know, he is, he is safe with my parents, like as now, like they are still able to take care of him. 
And my main, like I said before, duty is to take care of him for the rest of his life. So I acknowledge that, you know, Harry and the circumstances in now, if he were to come live with me and if he would um, go to classes and obviously he's taking away the friends he has because Harry does have quite a few friends. He's quite a, he's non-verbal, so he can't, he can't communicate. But, you know, weirdly enough, he is still a chatterbox. He will try and have conversations with you when he can. His circumstance is limiting. And I feel like, you know, in the short term, I wouldn't be able to do things that would benefit him in the long run if I were to live with him outside of like our town. So for the short term, I want to, you know, move away, make something of, you know, myself for him um, to then be able to come back, take care of him, be able to say, you know, now you can come and stay with me for the rest of your life. Because when I was younger and even now, like your parents start talking about this, say you hear little conversations, they'll say, you know, when Harry's older, when we can't take care of him, you'll have to go into a, a home for autistic people, like physically impaired people. And I think that's the last I would rather go home with. I give Harry my last penny so he could live in a house somewhere and give all my money to my parents so they could take care of him. The last thing I'd want is for my brother to be put into a room where he'd sit and look at a blank wall for the rest of his life. I want to be able to say, look, Harry, I've, I've done this for you. You know, I've got I've got you. Like, you're safe. Like, you, you, can, you can live your life now. And he'll never have a normal life. I want him to have the best life he physically can have. And that is that is like my overarching goal in every in every in every aspect. Oh my gosh, that's really hit me really hard actually, the way that you've um said that the fact that you have this just undying love for your brother is absolutely beautiful and the fact that you do what you do for him I feel like more people should aspire for that because this world will be a much nicer place. And with your um, brother at the moment, is he living at home for like full full time? So does he not go to school or anything like that? He obviously we've left high school now, uh, but and I go to college. But he also goes to a college, so he'll be there for four years or four or five years, uh, and he does the normal five days like a normal school uh, school week. But as of next year, of 2024, oh, 2023, sorry, the next schooling year, he'll be doing three days a week. And then it stays like that for the rest of the time. So what's hard for him is obviously my parents have to work. They have to keep a roof, keep a roof over our heads. So Harry has to go into like club activities for those two days. And then obviously as that progresses, when he has to leave college, then it becomes he has to do full-time club activities. And then when the club activity, when he can't do the club activities, then obviously he just put, he gets put to a home and he can't do anything. So for me, it's it's obviously many years down the line. It's not going to happen in the next year or two. But my like the way I move forward is definitely on some kind of clock. Like I am, I'm definitely restricted by time. I don't have the luxury of you know waiting 10, 20, 30 years and being like, okay, I've got my time. I can schmooze around a bit. You know, things need to get moving. Things need to get moving quickly, so that you know when those opportunities run out for him, I can provide him with an abundance more and make sure that he's okay. Because my parents have done an amazing job. Like they, I can't express to you how how amazing my parents have done with it and everything. Like they didn't expect Harry to be the way he was, and God knows that they've had their struggles just like I've, I've had mine. But you know we've kind of leaned on each other's shoulder like through the times and things. So as a family, we're super close. Like I said, my parents are divorced, but we are like a collective. And with my uh, step parent, my stepfather, we are also super super close. So we're like a little community, and we kind of bunch around him, and we think you know we we support him and things. But for me being like his brother uh, I feel that extra sense of you know you know responsibility for him I yeah I respect that fully and it's really really nice that 
you're all still there for him. Nobody's decided, you know, oh, I'm not going to like help because it all seems that you actually yeah. are. And in situations like this, you all need to be close to it. Otherwise, it will be difficult for everybody else. Yeah, it's really, really beautiful how you've all come together and there's such a strong love and bond between you all. So with that being said, are we okay to chat about your empire that you want to build? So is it what exactly do you want to build in the short amount of time that you feel like you have? Of course, yeah. So in LinkedIn's terms, I won't kind of bore you with the details and things. It's a group for young carers. So it be, it's called the Young Carers Collective. Like a beta version of it is is live on Facebook now, kind of like a tester kind of run where I want to get young carers together, you know, because there's a lot of, like you see, there are initiatives out there for young carers, but they are all very much brick and mortar businesses. And young care is one thing that we don't have a lot of time. We don't have the time to, you know, go away and do things on our own. Uh, like you say, in school times you do, if, you t- if you're taken out of lessons because that's already time allocated to you. But, you know, free time, you don't often get much of it. You're either doing your caring or you're helping someone prepare for caring. My idea is that you, you always have accessibility to these communities of other young carers. And then I want to get like guest speakers in who were young carers, ex-young carers, still carers in different fields of the carer's choices to show them the type of fields that either they want to get into or the possibilities they can do. Um, Because one thing I want to really highlight for them is that they are, they are still a person beyond their caring roles. They are, they are still something besides their brother, sister, mother, auntie, father, that they are their own person still. Um, And then an extension to that, I also want to start a, a charity events monitoring business. So that will be linked to the young carers where I have all of the charity events on and non-profit events. And then young carers can find these events and go anywhere in the country. So like yourself, if there were any young carers near yourself, they'd find the events, they'd see the charities, they'd know where the closest was one to them. If they wanted to go where I am, they could come to the Midlands and they could go to events there. Or if they wanted to go through a lot online events, they could. Because well, I know there's a lot of uh, employability schemes that charities run not just for young carers but for um, like d- disabled people and people in lesser circumstance so you know these type of things where you know it makes things more accessible for everyone because I when I grew up finding events to do with my brother was very hard there was a lot of things where you think oh that looks lovely we'll do that together and then you look at it and you go well you know he can't run very fast he's he's got one ear so his balance is terrible so he can't go on the balance balls or you know, he can't swim very well. So, you know, we can't go to this big wave pool. It's like these things that you think you can do as a family, you can't always do because of uh, the person you're caring for circumstance. Yeah. So I really want to highlight that for them and, you know, make it like, super accessible so they can click a button, go onto all these pages and just find the event they want to. I think that's a really, really incredible sort of business proposal and, yeah, considering you've been through it, you'll be able to make it absolutely worthwhile and amazing for these young carers and individuals who are going through the hardship. And one more thing before we close up the podcast. Of course. What advice would you give yourself and other young carers who are going through or have been through the same thing that you have? I know it sounds super cliche, but... You know, when I when Harry has his moments, because he does, he'll have his flip art moments. You need to kind of step away, and you need to have five minutes. I know it sounds the most simplest thing in the world, and you know, in 
in the short term, it won't, it won't make much sense. But take a second if you can, step outside for five minutes, take a deep breath. And remember, it's just the moment. They could have been having a, an awesome day, an awesome week, but they might have be having that one moment where, you know, they kick off or, they, you know, they don't understand. And they might need that five minutes as well. But just take that five minutes and know, like, I'm not alone. I always thought I was alone as a young carer. I didn't have anybody else to go, well, you're a young carer, so let's stick together. So find like situational people, people who are in the same boat as you and share experiences because nine times out of 10, they're going through the exact same thing as you, maybe less so, maybe more so. And you can share, you can share experiences, lean on each other, laugh with each other because you're, you have that type of understanding of each other where, you know, you know, our circumstances aren't amazing, but we can do it together. Amazing. But- and with that being said, I'm going to, put the facebook group you said it's in beta testing at the moment it's in beta testing yeah um, right now i'll put it, it in the description box if there's any young carers listening right now that want to reach out or anything you could do it through that and i want much. to say a massive thank you for coming on my podcast honestly i'm I, I, don't, I don't know what to say because you've really, really shocked me. I didn't realise what it was like for young carers and I never thought about, yeah, how you guys must feel going through your situation. So a massive thank you and a huge kudos to you for starting your empire at 17. That is something incredible and, yeah, a huge, huge kudos to you. Well, thank you very much for having me on. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you so much. And I'll see you guys in the next one.